Hi, everybody, and welcome to the Weekly Word Podcast. I'm Chris Hout, AIM Coach, and this is episode number 96. And man, it's been a few weeks since I've been able to put together a solid podcast. I have a variety of ideas in here and things that I pre-recorded, but to truly put it together into the first podcast of 2019 and all the things that I want to talk about well, most likely this will be a two-parter in that I'm going to get this first part of the podcast out here in the next 24 hours and hopefully follow up pretty quickly with another podcast in the next 72 to 96 hours. Just because I have so many topics, so many emails, so many questions, so many ideas to talk about. So for those of you that are new to the podcast because of not only it, I've been out of it for three weeks, the holidays, then Rich's podcast and a coast ride. I've sort of deferred podcasting for a while. This podcast is about ultra endurance, but everything ultra endurance, the lifestyle, the training, the mindset, the pillars of life with regards to balancing it all, which I call the three pillars, which is our family and community, our career being the other one, work and our professional life. And finally, this endurance, healthy fitness lifestyle being the third pillar. But within that, I also talk about three other aspects of our um, holistic approach to the endurance and ultra endurance lifestyle. And many of you know it from previous podcasts or my time with Rich, but also on the people that Rich interviews in a lot of his podcasts, and that is about a full circle approach here. Your physical prep for an ultra endurance event is the easiest part to get ready for. It's very um, measurable. You can see it. We're out doing it. It's actionable. But the mental and the spiritual growth that goes along with these events are sort of the um, hidden below the surface behind door number one and door number two. And we talk a lot about that on this podcast a lot about understanding how the roots that you grow from that strong mental fortitude and that deep spiritual connection to the journey and the training that you're doing, those will help you when those ultra endurance events of 10, 14, 20, 30, 40, 60 hours or longer um, demand and tax you so deeply and create such questions and doubts in your minds and the valleys of emotions that you go through through some of these events, the roots that you create in this holistic approach, those are the ones you will fall back upon. Because the fitness is the first thing that you start questioning or doubting. But when your mind is strong and you have a lot to fall back on, as well as a lot of things that we've discussed and worked on as athletes, along with your spiritual connection to what you're doing, why you're doing it, and your belief in how you're doing it, and what it means to you, it will make it exponentially easier to get through those valleys, to overcome those fears, to stay present and confident and loving the moments that you're in, even for their difficulties. Because when you can choose to change your attitude when things are going bad, when you're in those dark, dark moments, and you can make choices with regards to that this is what you signed up for, and this is where you are, and this is what you're overcoming, and these are the growth moments that you will remember for the rest of your life, the, 
the difficulties that you overcame, not when it was easy. That's not what you remember 20 years from now. Colin O'Brady crossed Antarctica on his own whim and the difficulties he went through in order to do that, in order to suffer through that, the, the darkest moments and the stories he has from it and his perseverance, that all came, I believe, I don't know him that well, from his ability to fall back on all his tools and his growth and the full approach of his being, his spiritual being, his mental being, and his physical being. And when you go as deep as he did in that many days, in that difficult type of time and adventure, you need everything like that. You need to be grounded with some very, very deep roots. And that's what this podcast is about. We talk a lot of training. We talk a lot of nutrition. We talk a lot of details of how to be successful in your prep for an event. But in order to be successful for an event, you also need the mindset, which we talk a fair amount about, and some tips and some approaches and some ways to go about it, as well as your spiritual growth. And I believe, not all coaches believe this, but I believe and do a lot of my coaching based off of this, that with that third piece in your arsenal, in your growth, in your training, that you will be better prepared for the difficulties that lie ahead. When it comes from deep within you, deep within your soul and your spirituality and your higher consciousness. And quite honestly, like I've said many times before, I wish I had this back in my swimming days. I wish I knew more about this and this spiritual strength and calmness and joy and internal flame back when I was competing at some very high levels, whether in triathlon, whether in ultra running, or even way back in my swimming days. So now when I see this and I feel this and I notice this and coach this, I want to share that with all of you because it is so powerful. It is a secret weapon. It does really propel you to be able to work through some of the darker moments that we all face, whether you're running Leadville 100, whether you're climbing Everest, whether you're solo sailing across the ocean, whether you're just running a marathon, just because time is shorter doesn't mean the valleys and peaks of emotions aren't there. And sometimes they're compressed. And so when you take any mountain range or swings of any oscillation and you compress it, the peaks go higher and the valleys go deeper. And those emotions and those difficulties and those self-doubts and those fears that we're trying to overcome in order to continue to press on to fulfill the potential that we had signed up to become, to feel, to um, validate, to embody our best self in the current now for who we are currently. We want to feel that and those are easier easier. <laughs> easier achieved when we have the full circle of our abilities at our disposal. So that's the weekly word podcast. That's this week's sort of intro. 
and we are going to dive into so many topics and so many things. So I am going to cut it off at some point just because I don't want the first one of the year to right away just fatigue all of us, including me and my my rambling and talking. But it will be, first off, um, something that is important for 2019 and setting our goals and intentions and what that means. And then I talk a little bit, of, of course, about what it's like to be sick and what we should be doing. I've talked about this before on the podcast, but I can't say it enough. Maybe not every week, but probably every 10 episodes, I bring it up. And I also talk a little bit again about how we set up our training and what that means in the mindset. And so, and then we dive into all kinds of different topics. There's a lot of in here today. Um, that I'm also starting for the new year. I am starting a training plan for all of you. So part of this and the Weekly Word podcast from day one was about training. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to lay out some weeks of 50K training. And once we're done with the 50K program in a couple episodes, we're going to move on to a 70.3 and uh, maybe a marathon and a variety of different things. So I hope that you all enjoy that piece and it helps all of you get going on this, this journey, this track, this super highway of fitness. I was talking to an athlete, a new potential athlete this morning, and we talked about this not having a specific long-term goal. And that is important. I agree with that because we don't know who will be in six months due to our training, due to our growth, due to our mental fortitude, due, our, due to our spiritual solidification of those roots, right? And the challenge with goals and setting long-term goals is that you're often setting goals that you might not be as attached to in a year or two because you're a different person. You're growing. You're not static. You're constantly growing. You're a body in motion, and you're hopefully growing as a person, as an athlete, and as a human being. And so in 18 months from now, what you set forth as goals for today might no longer apply, might not be something that you're truly attached to. And so that's why I stay away professionally and in my athletic world, as well as in my guidance of long-term three to five-year plans, because I hope that I am not the same person in two, three years from now when I set forth on this journey, on this, on a goal today. And so that's why I call it more like a super highway, that we're on a seven lane highway heading in the right direction. But we can be swerving a bit. We can be in the outside lane. We can be in the middle lane. But we're heading in a general area. We're heading towards a major city, but we're not necessarily on a tight, narrow country road that when you roll off of it or drive off of it, you're off path. You're completely rudderless. No, we're still on a super highway. We're heading somewhere, but we just don't necessarily know what that will be when it unfolds, when we get to that city, when we get to that um, end of that super highway, what will that open up for us? Now, there's a lot of exits along that super highway that might pull us into different adventures or ideas or passions or interests. 
and we might want to explore those and spend some time off that exit in those small country villages and country roads where we learn about you know a trail running race or a obstacle course race or a sailing expedition or a swim run something or and then continue to grow our fitness and our ability and our strength and our mindset and our spirituality by when we're back on the superhighway towards the next adventure towards the next potential exit but again all this crystallizes itself and it all unfolds itself as we're moving, as we have momentum, as things become clearer for us, what we want to accomplish. Now, of course, it's great. Many of you have very specific events and desires to achieve certain outcomes in the future. That's great. But I don't want any of you to be hindered or delayed in your growth, in your fitness, in your health, in your vitality, in your joy in doing this because you need an event. You don't need an event. It will come to you. But let's get going on health and fitness and on this outdoors being connected and daily self-care and daily time with ourselves to reset the button to exhale to spend some time reflecting and thinking and projecting projecting not in a negative way but projecting on our intentions for tomorrow for this week or how we want to be with our family or what we're going to do at work today not from a project standpoint but from a human connection standpoint today at work i am going to check in with this person i'm going to be a human being to that person and make a positive difference in their world. Why can I do that? Because I'm an endurance athlete that's healthy and that loves this journey and has joy and vitality just glowing from their body. That is where we want to go. And I know many people don't agree with me on this. And I agree. I know many people have sort of a set path and they want to achieve X outcome and do this and do that. And that's great. I love it. It's also part of this. But if we as a community can have an impact on the world around us with regards to our health, our fitness, our progression, our growth from, you know, being exhausted and panting after walking a flight of stairs to bounding up and feeling good. Now that might not go overnight. That might take a few months or even years, but at least that excitement, that joy, that understanding of where we've come from and who we are now and how much more we enjoy it and live it and love it and all that, projecting that out upon others so that they notice it and they feel it and we make an impact on others' days and lives and just for two, three minutes that they're infected by our positive energy, that's what we are. That's ultra endurance. That's joy. That's living. That's meaning that's engaging, that's gratifying, that's vitality, that's health, that's wealth in a totally different way. And that's what we're on. That's the journey we're on. Sure, we'll do a 50K. Sure, we'll do a 100 miler. Sure, it's difficult. Sure, these are some crazy expeditions and scary things and they're outside of our comfort zone. But because of that, we're tested as human beings. We're tested. We're meant to be tested. We're meant to be challenged. We're meant to be alert. We're meant to be out there 
uh, in on the edge of our comfort zone. We're meant to have the blinders off and see the full periphery of our life unfolding within us and ex outside of us so that we can take it all in and make our choices and live that life in a fully, fully engaged way. Eyes wide open, right? Eyes wide open. No, not Nicole Kidman type of eyes wide open. I think that's who was in it. But eyes wide open into living. Full 180 degree view. 360 might be a bit challenging. But seeing the full view of where we're going along that seven lane superhighway, right? Yes, eventually it might become more focused. We're going towards an event and a result and an outcome and achievement. And then we open those shutters, those blinders back up more to get back on that super highway and have a full wide perspective, a wide, um, broad view of what we can do and what we can be and how we can believe in future outcomes and new normals that will just make us even more passionate about life and all of this. <laughs> there you go. That's the weekly word podcast. And this is what we're talking about. And so I hope you enjoy this episode. Welcome to all of you that are new. Welcome back to all of you that last heard this voice in 2018. Well, maybe some of you heard it on Richie's podcast, um, a video, or YouTube blog, or whatever it was. But yeah, it's me. And here we go. And I'm excited to start 2019 and the podcast with all of you like this. And many of you saw on my newsletter the adventures that so many of my athletes took on this past year. <laughs> and this next year is working out to be even crazier, even more diverse, even um, a bigger spectrum of not necessarily these high-end adventures, but people, people from all walks of life and across the board, from beginners to experienced super athletes to those of you that are super busy in your professions to those of you that are super young and just off going to college to, to have written me about the things that you're learning and observing and want to become. I wish I had that insight before I went to college. Well, you know, don't get me wrong. I had a lot of um, great mentorship and coaching and insight and, and um, people around me who were way way more grounded and sturdy in their roots and in their confidence and in their human being than I was. And now in looking back, I remember that and I have a different perspective of that. And maybe in the second part of this, I will talk to you about a letter I wrote sort of to my younger self, sort of to be out there, sort of as a mea culpa of where I was and who I have become. Um, and this is based off of an email that one of you, the listeners, sent me wondering why I went through this spiritual change and growth from being a tightly wound <laughs> Olympic swimmer and German and um, impatient and short in my ways to this, to what I'm talking about. But I'm getting distracted again. Anyway, that's 2019. That's where we're going. And that's what you are all bringing to the table. And that's why I'm so loving and excited and have endless energy for this. Sure, um, there's a lot more I want to do, but I don't forget that 
this, what we're doing here and talking about it and getting all of you excited about it as well. Um, and realizing, I talk about this and you'll see, you'll hear later on about realizing that we have this wonderful um, achievement list as well, that we can't forget where we've come from and what we're currently doing and how amazing that is. And that's something I overlooked in the past a lot too. Like, dude, don't, re don't just continue to drive forward, like back to work tomorrow. No, we're back to training tomorrow. Great, I finished Kona, pretty good result, off, boom, next thing. No, appreciating and accepting and enjoying for a couple days at least, maybe even weeks of like what we've accomplished, coach and I, family and I, kids and I, partner and I, community and I, training partners and I, right? Like not overlooking the fact that this is a bigger community and we're not able to do it all by ourselves and sort of embracing that and feeling grateful for that and recognizing that and, you know, sort of also patting ourselves on the back a little bit and going, you know what? That was a pretty darn good season. We are lucky to be able to do what we do and how we did it for the past 12 months, for the past eight months, 10 months, whatever, and be healthy and be here, right? Despite being a year older, still doing this and so forth. So yes, 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 yes. That is episode 96 and what we're going to dive into for this week. Many athletes struggle to take time off when they're sick. And I understand that. We have goals, we have outcomes, we have desires, we have events. We love our routine. So this challenge of taking time off when sick is difficult. But again, that fits into the bigger profile of what this all is difficult. And because you have chosen to do this, and because you are an endurance athlete, many things will be difficult. But being sick given that we are no longer teenagers, can sleep, go through the motions at school, let's say, at least how I did, and recover quicker is not a reality. So instead, when we are sick, we have current and plenty of stresses during our day. We still have our family life. We still have our work life. We'll, we still have the pace and speed of our days. There is still stress on the body. There's still fatigue on the body. And so it becomes incredibly important to take time off completely. I know it is difficult to take time off completely, but so many of you have relapses of sickness. When you don't take that time off and allow for that extra 24 to 36 hours to settle in when you are healthy again, your risk of relapsing into sickness and carrying this on twice as long, three times as long maybe even, is way higher. And there we are. Instead of a three, four, five day sickness, which is totally normal and can happen and is a good way to sort of reset the system, not from a health perspective, but from a mindset and desire and outcomes and goals, right? Intentions perspective. When you're down sick and you're missing it and you want to train, that's when you sit down in that time instead and write out some intentions, write out some 
desires and why you love this sport and the training so much. You might discover that you want it because of the routine. You might discover you want it because of how it makes you feel every day. You might want it because you need to check in with yourself and self-care and thought and reflection every day. All these things are valuable. And you might think, oh, that's Chris again with his, you know, EBGB stuff talking about how reflection and self-care. But the interesting thing is it ties into being an athlete. Because being an athlete requires that mindset, that mental reflection, that looking back, that taking stock, that evaluating yourself, that looking at yourself from a variety of different angles, why I enjoy it. Because all those understandings, all those learnings allow for you to then, when you are healthy and training, to be a better athlete. You know yourself better. Your outcomes will be better. And your abilities to clear your mind and to understand who you are will be better suited for the stress and demands and the rigors and the difficulties of doing endurance training whilst being an, a normal, everyday person. See, that is the bigger issue here too. This isn't just doing athletics while working, while having a family, while being engaged in the, fa uh, in the community. We're talking endurance athletics. This isn't CrossFit. This isn't, you know, being on a rec soccer team or basketball team. This isn't going to the gym once a day. This isn't many, many, many different varieties of ways of being fit and active and doing exercise. This is endurance sports. Endurance sports it has a whole different degree of difficulty because of the hours and time needed. Hours and time is sort of the same thing. Hours and prep needed in order to successfully, deliberately, thoughtfully do this stuff. And so our ability to be even more organized, to be even more clear in our intentions, clear in our desires, in our heart and in our mind, and in our prep for the day, is way more important than just going to the gym on your way home from work at night, than just going to the gym or going for a run before work in the morning. Or, you know, there's a zillion, again, a many different ways people exercise. And I'm not mocking that. All I'm saying is that hours, because it's more time, requires more thought. And again, if you are clear in your intentions, in your heart, in your soul, in your mind on why and how come and what it means to you, rolling out of bed at 4, 4.30, I have athletes that roll out of bed at 3, 3 o'clock in the morning, they're done with their workout at 4.30, yes, and then they go about their day. I mean, understanding there how... Um, clear and important the goals and the intentions and the events, but also the desire is to do that, that's pretty impressive. So when sick, that's a good opportunity to think about that while laying on the couch recovering. We don't want to extend this longer than it needs to be. And off when we're sick, is an important aspect of that. We don't want that lingering. We don't want that carrying on for days on end because also 
keep in mind, that annoying cough, that achiness, that not sleeping well, that lingering effect of being sick will compromise the next five, six days of workouts. We need to recalibrate, reset anyways after three, four, five, six days off, right? But we don't want that recalibration to take a week or two. We want it to take two or three workouts and then be back on schedule, on routine, on progression, on growth, on our path towards our desired outcome. And that is the important thing to remember here. All that ties into what happens when we're sick. I'm a no BS guy, and most of my athletes know this. But there's a reason for that, and that is because I believe that we are all looking to grow from a physical, mental, and surely a spiritual place. And if you're just looking to return to a level of fitness where you feel good about yourself, that's great. That's awesome. I really respect that. But that doesn't really require my coaching. There's plenty of coaches, coaches, plenty of coaching that can help you achieve that. And that's your own discipline and your own growth towards that. But what I'm looking for are athletes that are really looking to do a deep dive, physically, mentally, and spiritually. As I always say, this training is hard, very hard from a time commitment standpoint, from a try to fitting it into our busy lives standpoint. None of us are 18 to 23 anymore where we have not unlimited time, but our priorities are so limited with regards to maybe studying and a lot of extra time or being done with college and just having a few years to figure it out. That's not us anymore. Most of you listening to this, most of you um, on an endurance quest are looking for a greater adventure and that requires time. And also you can afford to take on these adventures because it does require money. It requires maturity in a lot of respects. Maturity to know, to, to be disciplined, to know how to be patient, to trust a coach, all those things. And so most of the time, and most of you listening, and most of my athletes are anywhere from you know 30 and beyond. Now, of course, that can still mean you're looking to qualify for Kona. You're still trying to win your age group and become an age group world champion. It can still mean you're looking to win 50-mile races, 100-mile races. That is a different um, angle of this. But again, you're going to be a more complete whole athlete if you take on the physical, mental, and spiritual approach. Because those roots that you create by being a solid athlete in all three of them, remember we already have talked about the definition of athlete. If you're an athlete in all three of those, your roots and the foundation that you're doing your training on, that you're doing your thinking on, that you're doing your visions on, that you're doing your prep on, that you're going to fall back upon when things get really difficult, and they always do, you will have a much, much firmer ground and foundation and roots planted so that you are unshakable come that day. Now, it doesn't mean that you're guaranteed to win your event, but your steadfastness, your ability to deal with adversity, 
you're letting go of things that you can't control, your strength of mind, your joy in doing it, not only in the training, but then letting it all blossom, unfold, unleash on event day or event week or expedition window, right, is going to be very powerful if we combine those three. If you're just looking to, you know, try an Ironman, sure, I can help you, but you're overpaying for that coaching. You're way overpaying for that coaching. So it's that, right? My, my task is to take you where you said you wanted to go. You said in your goals and your intentions and your desires and your expression of self have told me all these things on how you want to achieve that because I also am asking more and more why. Why is this important to you? Because when it gets difficult, that why becomes more important. But in order to do that, in order to reach these goals and have these set these intentions in order to take the path towards your objectives and goals and desired outcomes, you also must want to go there, really want to, right? Just go where you want to go. Those intentions need to be set real deep. A deep focus, persistence, a desire. And that's what we want to see. And we can't overlook that when we're doing this type of training. Like I've said before, and I've talked about with other athletes that have tried to send me their friends or, or other athletes or coaches who've sent me some of their athletes, not just because um, it, maybe they're full or they just thought uh, I'd be a better fit. And I do the same with athletes, don't get me wrong. But my focus is working with interesting people. They're going to be endurance athletes. I can turn you into an endurance athlete. But the people, the ones with a story, but also within a community that is open to growing, right? When we have a conversation, I want to hear that. I want to hear how you're open to growing. You're open to, you know, slowing down, right? From a physical and a training perspective now, to slowing down and being in zone two and aerobic, showing the discipline and the, 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 the emotional stability to even do that, to let, you know, an old lady pass you on the bike, whatever, right? This is my training and this is getting me to my future desired outcome. Who cares? Growing mentally, right? And that you're getting stronger and more confident. But the things that you've overcome, the failures that you've reached, that all helps you grow. Learning from failures and growing. Learning from the difficult training days and growing. So mentally also growing. And of course, spiritually growing. Understanding that connectedness. I had a conversation yesterday driving back from the coast ride with an athlete who, who just did an hour and 20 minute run. But he felt alive in nature, connected, really felt it for the first time. And it was really overwhelming in some ways, but it's an addiction. It's a very powerful sensation that you think you're going to get every single time. Now you're going to run out of nature. No. And yeah, he was in a cabin in the woods at his friend's place. I think it was his girlfriend's place up north. And, you know, so he's more remote and the, uh, the stream and the creek and the snow melting and the rollers and the trees and the the moisture and it was just very very intense and the sunlight beaming through the evergreens i mean you can just imagine the scene and just feeling bouncy and connected and running up hills and rolling down them all that right that too recognizing that not just staring at a garment listening to a podcast and not taking it all in 
I don't want you always doing that. Now, of course, there's workouts where that happens, but there's other workouts where we leave it all behind and we just go. And your willingness to embrace that, to explore that, to understand that, well, not necessarily understand that, but at least have your eyes wide open for it so that you can get those early senses of what this all means and the journey and the joy that you're having while training. And this, too many times we afterwards say to ourselves, wow, that was a great time. I felt so alive and so connected and so fit. Well, it'd be great to remember that in the present moment, not necessarily always while we're running, but also experiencing every week sort of a moment of gratitude and reflection and understanding that, man, I am alive. I am 100% alive this past week. I mean, I took 25 athletes on rides 134 miles long, of which 80 of it was in Big Sur on huge rollers on the rugged California coast. And then from there, we rode another 45 miles to our destination, 134 mile day, you know, I mean, and that was followed by another 115 mile day. And the day before the 134 mile day was 122 or 124 mile day. So the level of fatigue, but yet still doing it and the accomplishment and realizing that not just, wow, it was cool. It was a fun bike ride. No, like holy smokes, holy crap. Smokes, holy smokes. Who still says holy smokes? Um, the accomplishment that, of that, the raw nature and the beauty of it, we get immune to it because we just saw it for six, seven hours staring at that beautiful California ocean and the rugged coast and the waves crashing down and the whales and the seals and the elephant seals and Hearst Castle and the, the dolphins. And I mean, there's only cars on that road that, with tourists and we're getting to cycle it. And that appreciation and that realization of accomplishment and knowing, oh my God, Gosh, what did I just do? That's so cool. It doesn't mean you sit there and you retire on that, but also recognizing, you know what? That's pretty cool. 99.9% .9 of this population in the world, let alone in this country, will ever do something like this. Will ever have the fitness and the comfort and the mindset on their bike to just go out and ride for eight hours, right? That's amazing. That's the growth in spirituality that I'm looking for. My best athletes, not in results or experience, are the ones willing to grow as people, as a person, looking inside themselves, realizing that this life has so much more to offer when we're not focused on validation, on the result, but instead that journey, that appreciation, that heck yeah, that was awesome. Heck yeah, this last week was amazing with beautiful weather and the fitness and the growth. Sure, we all have to go back to reality from it, but at least we did it and we realize it and are proud of it and stronger for it and fitter for it. But it's also a heck yeah, this is awesome. Sure, I might not get first or second or third, or I might miss that cutoff, or I might not do this or do that or go 1031 instead of 1029 and therefore be disappointed, although we talked about that with goals and intentions. But at least I have these experiences and this connection to what I was really fit with. What are you going to remember afterwards in many years from now when you're not either able to do this or you're too old to do this, which I also have different approaches and mindset towards, 
But then you're going to think back of the journeys, the experiences, the fun, those memories of those rugged days and just rolling in just before dark on a 134-mile day of the coast ride after a 122 or 124-mile day. Rolling over the Golden Gate Bridge, the sense of accomplishment with all the people you rode with when you finished, that's awesome. That's fun. And that's where it's like, you know what? I'm doing stuff that's different. Who gets to do that? Who's going to do all the things that we have planned to do this year? Our self-curated adventures, and endurance experiences, and so forth. Who gets to do what we're going to do at the Sonoma Camp in April and those days and back-to-back and the training and those locations and wineries and the whole thing while still getting in great training and doing big miles and trail runs? And it's going to be gorgeous. That's an accomplishment. That's the journey. That is also understanding, realizing that this life has so much more to offer when we're not focused on validation, on who we are, what a time is, or that I did this, or I did that, or that my bike is shiny, or that my this, you know, I can go off on a full tangent there. On realizing our truest self, how exercise, outdoors, and daily self-care puts our bodies in tune with so much more that is out there. You guys all heard it on the Ritual podcast when I talked about it. That understanding And that being in tune with our bodies, that there's so much out there, there's so much more internal fulfillment and growth and experience and gratification and smiles and joy and vitality when we are in this training. And yes, it might only be 45 minutes here. It might only be 90 minutes there because our life is busy. But at least we're doing that so that we set up these windows to have something like the Coast Drive, to have something like an epic three-day window, to have something like a four-day hike on the John Muir Trail for all days, uh, for a bunch of days in a row outside in nature. And then that way you, you, you refill that tank of holy shit, excuse my language, but holy shit, this is what I'm capable of, of being out here and running or hiking and cycling and just doing it. And then returning back to the shorter days because you have other responsibilities. Totally fine. But that reset, that filling our tank on what we're capable of and our truest self and realizing that and being happy with that, that will just flow downriver for us to make it easier and better and stronger and new normal and different fitness and endurance adventures so that the 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 races become just a um underscore and underlining the fitness that we have but also you're capable of it no problem i had an athlete who showed up on the coast drive he's a strong ironman triathlete but he hadn't been training for the past few months properly. His new job, new family, as in a new baby and a second baby on the way. Like there's a lot going on. He rode like a champion. And I say that because he started off pretty strong, but you know, not to his ability and his best self. But every day he got a little stronger. Every day there was more there. By the fifth day of the coast ride, he was a beast again and he felt his strongest of all five days and he even said that on the afternoon of each day he felt stronger than the morning and that just shows you again that once you're you have that 
fitness that you just enjoy being somewhat connected all the time and you're in a busy life, but then you can pull out five days like he just did where you're getting stronger and refilling that tank of ability, fitness, confidence, and love of what we do, that is amazing, right? And then throw in another aspect of that, and that is that it just builds your confidence on knowing that you're, you can come back to it quickly. So many of us are out of harmony, out of tune with that daily self-care, right? And my greatest joy comes from bringing as many people into or close to that harmony. When I get emails from people after the coast drive, not because it was an epic adventure, but because it was just beautifully simple of getting up, riding your bike all day, going to sleep, I mean, eating and then going to sleep and just with people that they'd never met before, new friendships, that's experiences. That's in harmony. That's retuning your mind, your body and your soul for the weeks and months ahead that you might not have the opportunity for it, which is totally fine. Like I said, we don't all have the opportunity to do this frequently, but enough to reset your system. Re enough to come back home with that perma smile and that internal joy um, present so that everybody in your community also benefits from your being back in harmony. Achieving our potential as human beings comes from self-care. I talked about that. But self-care includes being healthy, fit, loving and listening to our body, loving our body. It gives us an opportunity to hear our soul, our higher consciousness. And as I have always been saying, if we can hear ourselves a few hours a day, many hours per week, we're getting close to achieving our true potential, right? But that's, that's what I'm looking for in athletes, that you are open to that, that you are open to that. Because when you're open to that, you are also going to grow way past your current goals and objectives and intentions. You're going to blow right past that because your joy, your confidence, your ability to train because of that joy and confidence and that completeness and that wholeness is going to make your performance outcomes, results, just shoot through the roof. But if you're looking for validation, it's a constant struggle. What are others doing? Why are they doing that? How come I can't do this? That's all validation. That's all I want, I want, I want, because this is what other people are thinking of me. Get that out of your mind. If you're doing it for that, no thank you. And that doesn't mean you can't take on any adventure like I was saying earlier. But with that mindset of physically, mentally, and spiritually, and that self-care and realizing our best self, it can be anything from a 100-mile run to Ultraman to even a marathon to 70.3s and Ironmans to crossing deserts to trekking and riding bikes across continents to climbing Everest. doesn't matter. All that will come together. The fitness will come together. But when you're in your deepest, darkest moments, because you closed that loop, because you did everything we just talked about, and the joy and the self-care and that internal flame that keeps that smile and that joy alive, when it gets dark and when it gets difficult 
and you don't want to continue or you don't want to push harder or you just are struggling to put one foot in front of the other and your body is screaming out in resistance, in pain, in difficulty, that little light, that little flame will be burning quite hot because you stoked that fire for the last few months, for the last few years in order to achieve what you want to achieve, to get that satisfaction of a goal outside of your comfort zone, something that you never thought you could achieve. And that satisfaction and that feeling complete will last you a lifetime. So goals, many of you have heard me talk about this, and I've also talked about it on past podcasts a little bit, but also I've talked about it on my um, newsletter briefly, and it's something I definitely wanted to dive into on this first podcast of 2019. And many of you have asked and wondered, and those who are around me in person as well, or even when I was on Rich's podcast, know that I'm not a fan of goals. Because a goal sets you up with a proposition of success or failure based off of the outcome. So if you are looking to do 11 hours at an Ironman, right? Well, 10.50 is successful. Is 11.10 unsuccessful? Um, And that's a broad example of something, right? But guess what? We're just not in control of that outcome at times. Using that example, right, 11.10. Well, maybe it was super hot that day. Maybe it was super windy that day. Maybe it's that day that it poured rain. I mean, people did Lake Placid many years ago, and it was a pouring rainstorm, right? So, Or it was super hot. And we all see this in Ironman results when people say, oh, last year somebody qualified for Kona with an 11.14. So I'm going to go there this year and do, try to you know, get qualified for Kona. Well, looking at the details, looking at the research, looking at the background of it all, you notice that actually, yeah, it was 112 degrees on the bike course, or it was a monsoon on the run, and, you know, or Texas that one year, where you had to stop because a train was coming through, and a long cargo um, base train with like a 90 cars, so yeah, for seven minutes, there you are, or 10 minutes, or 15 minutes, or, you know, a storm comes through and there's major damage to the roads so they have to do a different section and the course is different. There's so many different things that can mess with our outcomes that we don't aren't in control when we have goals like that. We're only responsible for the effort in the process of attaining the goal. On that journey, on that training journey, How was our effort? How were we being an athlete? This is what I talk about so often. Athlete is not based off of your ability. It's based off of your, your, the way you prepare and approach your training. You can be getting ready for your first 5K, turkey trot. I don't care. You can be better than elite athletes around the world because what you, how you prepare for it, how you think about it, how you um, act like an athlete towards it can make you on equal footing than any elite athlete in the world because athlete is a mindset. And so how you prepare and how you get on that journey towards your goal, that's what you're in control of. 
You're only responsible for the effort in the process. So instead of goals, like you know, I like intentions. It's similar, but it's a little different. And I'm not the only one. Plenty of people do this. But I find in sports, this becomes even more important in clarity, in black and white formats, win or lose, qualify, not qualify, finish, not finish. To be stuck with those goals, whether you're successful or not, is difficult. But intentions, I intend to put forth this effort, this focus, this um, training to the best of my current abilities. We talk about this on this podcast a ton. You can only be who you are currently. You can't be back to who you were in your 20s. You can't project to what you might be in a few months. You can only be who you currently are. And that might mean that you only currently can train like this or this limited time. But then let's make that to the best of our abilities. And this comes up so often in conversations that I have when athletes want to be somewhere they're not yet ready for. I can only coach you where you currently are. I can't coach you for where you want to be because if I coach you for where you want to be, you will get injured. You will not absorb the training as effectively. You will not have the outcomes and reach your intentions the way you want to. Instead, I coach you with where you currently are. Now, we grow from that. Nothing stays static, but we grow. You want to grow. You want to continuously grow. And so that's the difference between intentions and goals. An intention recognizes that I'm working towards something with my best effort. That I can do. That we can be totally responsible for. Because at the end of the day, at the end of a workout, at night when you're logging your workouts for me, please, you can write, I put forth my best effort today. I achieved the intended outcome. And I take responsibility for that. That means no matter what happens, I can still be happy. Whether it's with the result, with my training, whatever that is. The results of my effort will not control how I look at myself, right? Because the results of the effort let you, leave you stuck judging oftentimes. So for example, if my goal is to qualify for Kona, but I end up coming up a spot or placing short, does that mean I should look at myself as a loser, loser after that race? Was it a failure? Many of us do. I got seventh instead of sixth, and sixth were the last... Kona slot. We have these warped views of what goals and achievements means and success and failure around it and how we evaluate those results. I often did it as well. But instead of having the goal of winning, I have the intention to race the best Ironman possible, the best 50 miler possible, the best event I can. Then whether I qualify, win, achieve, some marker, some result or not, doesn't change how I feel about myself. Sure, I would prefer to hit that result, that marker, that specific outcome. But I only evaluate myself based on how I raced, how I executed, not whether I won. Because winning depends on the competition, the weather, the terrain, as well as my own effort. And I, I only control that one thing, my own effort. I could race perfectly. And quite actually, I have. I actually raced an age group world record 
one year in Kona and yet still got third. So if you told me beforehand, right, that I would race an age group world record, that I would go 854, uh, 855, excuse me, in Kona, and that means I wouldn't even win, I would have said, that's crazy. But at the end of the day, I was so stoked to have broken nine hours in Kona. It was a magical day. I didn't care that I got third, right? There were two others that went, one went 854 and one went 853. It was a fast year in Kona. It doesn't matter. I can, for the rest of my life, say I went 855. Now, I wasn't disappointed. I put forth pretty much the perfect race. I felt great about it. I was really happy. And I executed the way I wanted to execute. I raced the best possible race, but didn't win. I raced to the best of my abilities, not trying to find or justify or squeak out minutes after. That's a dangerous game that I learned in swimming. You can never evaluate, judge your event afterwards and then sort of say, well, I could have found a second here and this and done that and triathlon a few minutes here. Dangerous game because then you're judging yourself and you're evaluating yourself, evaluating yourself in 2020 hindsight and it doesn't play into other factors that might have been involved had you been further up, had you done that faster third 50 of the 200 butterfly had you ridden your bike a little bit harder and been you know into t2 quicker and who's the competition around you and what and all kinds of different dynamics you can't look for minutes after race the best possible race right and this example is about racing and athletics but we all know this flows right into our day-to-day living our life we all went pro at life and this is where our best is more important, not because of some goal or results. We all want to be successful. We all want to make a difference in the world, in the world. We all want to be recognized and um, get the attention of our peers and our loved ones, which I mean, basically means we want to be loved. I prefer these outcomes because they're more fun. But we're always looking and thinking of the desired outcome as if we control aspects of it. It's all about being fully responsible for our effort, just like it's in sports. So that's why goals and intentions take on a whole different meaning to me um, and to many. I mean, I'm not the only one. There's many, 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 many professionals, um, executives, um, life coaches, um, um, many out there that do switch this discussion from goals to intentions. And I love it. And that's where I learned it from, right? So I'm passing that on in the same way. I'm not the only one, as you all know, that talks goals and intentions. But I really like wrapping my mind around my best effort, evaluating it from there. And that also takes a lot of the fear out of a goal or an outcome. Because if we did our best, then there's nothing we can criticize ourselves about. That third place age group world record, great. I can't criticize myself about it. I did everything I possibly wanted to do, could do. And I still got third. I worked for two, three years towards that goal of winning my age group in Kona at that time. 
And I, then I did a world record that lasted for zero minutes. <laughs> it wasn't even a world record. I like to say it was a world record, but it technically wasn't. Because <laughs> those two other people had already crossed the finish line before me and made that the new world record. But that's what we're afraid of the most, that we criticize ourselves, that we judge ourselves, that we evaluate ourselves why do we do that? Because we know deep down inside whether we put forth our best effort. And so then from there, we know that we really didn't um, intend to achieve the outcome that we wanted to because had we put forth our best self, we would have. And so then this self-sabotage and blame game begins. We don't want that. We don't want to look at it from that perspective. So, Whatever your goals are for 2019, let's change them to intentions. Do your best. Let's learn along the way. If you're not doing your best or aren't learning from making mistakes along our way towards our intentions, well, again, then we're back to that's something we're responsible for. We know when we're not giving our best. We know when we're spread too thin and not applying ourselves to our best um, outcomes the highest version of ourselves. And so when you're writing your goals for 2019 with regards to your athletics, with regards to your outcomes, with regards to what you want this year to be, think of it more as intentions. Do your best and learn along the way. Uh, along the way. That's all you can be responsible for. Again, if you ignore it, give yourself a hard time, right? If you're not doing your best, and you aren't learning, give yourself a hard time. You should, because you know you should evaluate yourself and look at it from that perspective when you don't give your best. But then know that you're not giving your best. Know that you um, are working at a subpar result and fix it. Learn. There you go. Learn and grow and go get back onto the path of giving it your best. As I said the other day to an athlete, when you are on event day in nine months from now and you look back to this day, you want to be able to say, I took that day nine months ago today and turned everything around from there. I started looking forward and putting my best intended dates together from a training perspective, from a mindset perspective, from a growth perspective, from who I wanted to be today, nine months from now, it started becoming part of my reality that day, today, towards that nine-month journey. And no, days won't be perfect. We'll make mistakes along the way. We'll hopefully grow with those mistakes. But you have the choice today to start putting forth your best intended effort. Now, if you intend to do a subpar day, okay, whatever. I can't help you there. But most of us don't do that. We try to put forth our best possible day. And if you don't look at it as intentions versus just simple goals, that black and white, it's either success or failure. It's either judge yourself because you didn't hit your goals or it's success. 
And the hardest part about that is that when that bleeds into our professional life and our daily life, then we start forcing things. Well, I said I was going to do that workout today. So then at 11 o'clock at night, you're stuck doing a treadmill workout. Then the next day's workout is compromised because you're not fully recovered from that late night treadmill workout. Now you're not absorbing the training. Now you're starting to break down and get healthy, un unhealthy or get niggles that lead to possible injury. Now everything's becoming compressed. You're, the joy and the motivation of it is, is starting to drip out and fade away because you're just exhausted doing it at a subpar level. Now the adaptations aren't happening. You aren't growing in the sport. You aren't feeling stronger. You're not having that connectiveness to what your potential could be and feeling motivated and excited towards the next workout. Now you're tired. Now you're flat. Now you're fill in the blank because the path that you're on now is not good. And so what I say with that too is when we put it as goals, we take it with this old school approach of I said I would and therefore I must, I will. Well, when they're intentions, it's easier to say, you know what, I did my best today, but I just didn't get it in. I'm going to focus on work today or family today and do that really well to the best of my ability, stay present with that. And guess what? Then tomorrow's workout, or even if tomorrow gets shot too, the workout, the next workout I do will feel good. Why? Because I did what I did to get here. And sure, I might have missed a workout or two, but at least now I can fully absorb this one. I understand and appreciate this workout for what it is and how it is in my life so much more. I did a good job on that project or at work because I was fully present there versus being partially there and partially absorbing a workout. Or I spent that time with my family and didn't overthink it or try to sneak away or was truly absent, although I was there because I was thinking about my workout. We don't want that because guess what? That means you're not long in this endurance community. You're not long doing endurance sports because career or family will eventually tug at your soul. And when it's tugging at your soul, you can't do this at the level and the difficulty of what ultra endurance is in a busy life that we're already living. So it takes a very delicate balance. And when we're black and white on goals versus intentions, that judgment and that forcing a square peg in a round hole of our schedule becomes impossible. So goals and intentions. That is goals and intentions. And the important thing too, in closing with this, is that you wanna to remember to also not to be too harsh on yourself. Look at yourself clearly enough to demand your best effort, but also give yourself enough credit to forgive yourself when you're missing things or not living up to the standards that you are setting for yourself or the things that you're maybe not doing as you intended and move forward. Because if you get stuck in a cycle of judging yourself and being hard on yourself, you're going to be stuck never um, wanting to engage and having the energy and the momentum to continue moving on. That's very similar to the approach of let's get two, three, four days of workouts in. And if you fail on one of them or don't reach on a day on because life got too busy or you missed it, that's fine. 
And by fail on a workout, I mean not hitting the paces or the zones. or something. That's fine. We'll pick up and start a new two, three, four, five-day stretch, right? Because if you judge yourself too strongly, if you don't, if you give yourself too hard of a, um, of a time, again, we don't want to lose that motivation. And forgiving yourself with this—that's the word I'm looking for. Forgiving yourself—that's going to re- yield some really good results, right? Because you're still out there doing it and you're still out there trying it and you're still out there putting forth your best effort. And so don't overlook that intention is momentum. Intention is trying. Intention is is, this is me and this is who I currently am and I'm giving it a whirl. And then when you look at it from that perspective, nothing becomes too complicated or fearful or worrying. You're doing your best. Doing your best. That's what intentions are. Doing your best for who you currently are. All righty. I thought a good listener question for this start of the year. And again, I have probably good 15 different topics I want to dive into. And I'm going to jump all over the board. And as most of you know from the podcast, I'm very, very um, easily pulled into a bigger conversation or direction on a lot of the email questions, but also on the things I want to touch on this week. I make some notes and then I just sort of start talking. But let's dive into one here because I think it's helpful for setting up our 2019 season. Thank you for all you do in the Weekly Word podcast. I was wondering if you might be able to go into a bit more detail around the 5 by one mile zone 2 test. How you test, what you look for, and how you incorporate this into your overall aerobic base building period. I've checked other podcasts and couldn't really see it discussed, only from a high-level perspective. Additionally, Given it is around the holidays, do you have any specific charities we might be able to donate to or show our appreciation for the Weekly Word and all the free knowledge you make available to us? Well, love that question and love those thoughts. Thank you for that, Peter, in this case. So let's dive into the first part. Five by one mile repeats is a broad general way to start distinguishing zones. We've talked about this on the podcast in the past, but I don't believe in the age formula on um, on, on testing or getting zones. I don't really uh, trust fully. It's getting so much better, but trust fully the zones that are determined on your, in your heart rate monitor, on your Garmin watches, or in training peaks and so forth. So what I do is I take that information not the age minus your, uh, well, 220 minus your age. I think that's crap in the first place. But the training zones in um, Training Peaks, which often uses that age formula, but they also have some other things in there, as well as just um, the ones on your watch also just takes into account your age, your weight, and years of training and activity and daily. It's too general. So I like to validate or clarify those zones a little bit more with five times one mile repeats. Um, easily done in metric standards to um, 1,600 meters, something like that. As you get fitter, you can probably do two kilometers, but I try to keep it around there. And with a strict one-minute rest, we don't want to fully recover. We want a strict one-minute rest. 
And it should be 90 to 95% effort. It should be basically best effort, not sustainable. But because you get that one minute rest, you're willing to push yourself further beyond what you usually would ever run in just an effort straight up. And secondly, if you blow up at number three or number four, well, good. Now you know. Now you know for next time. Now you know for, for in a week from now. Maybe you have that ability to just charge that hard. Most of us don't. Most of us don't charge hard enough, and you notice that you get faster as you're doing the five-by-one-mile repeats because you start projecting and getting familiar with the pain. That's the biggest thing in our mind that we struggle with in any athletics. Um, endurance athletics, team sports, individual athletics is because once our body feels the pain, the burn, it wants to avoid it. It says, why are we doing this? Why, why should we go through this? Go back to homeostasis, conserving energy, um, being pretty chill. And so it will fight us. All the signals in our body say, why are you going this hard? We can easily do this, this running motion, but a way less effort, lower heart rate, because this is uncomfortable. So it's hard to overcome that. And we felt it before the pain of going too hard or blowing up or the lungs burning or the muscles seizing up. And it created an indelible memory in our mind in those connections. Remember, all that memories truly are is a bunch of cells formatted together and connected by past experiences. And those connections become more and more form fortified and that's what creates a memory. That's what creates habits. It's just a variety of experience in the form of cells coming together and creating a stronger and stronger bond because it's been reinforced with a validating behavior over and over again. That's a memory. That's a um, habit. Anyway, different discussion there. See, this is how I get distracted. But so we avoid the pain. So oftentimes we get faster during those five mile, one mile repeat, five times one mile repeats. What that usually is, is our threshold. Our threshold being our lactate threshold, our anaerobic threshold. And from that, from those numbers, how quickly you got there, how quickly your heart rate rose, how much it rises over the five by one, how um, quickly you recover in that one minute, um, you can determine, we can distinguish that what your zone four running um, heart rate is approximately. Pace is difficult because that's a different ballgame, but at least we get your zone four a ballpark, a good number to start with. And we can continue to triangulate that with A, with future tests, but B, also sort of taking that threshold number, dialing it back a little bit. And I use that with regards to the second part of this question or overall aerobic base building period of using a number close to that zone four, just under it to then do future follow-up repeats three times one mile, but usually five times one mile at a very tight heart rate range. Um, and then noticing that at that tight range, one let's say 160 to 163 heart rate, you got to pay real close attention. But let's say two weeks after this five times one mile, we do that and it nets us eight minute miles on average. Then eight weeks further down the road, based and we've done our training and we're doing our adaptations and we're doing our growth with regards to fitness. You do that same five time one mile repeat at 160 to 163 heart rate. And now that eight minute mile just went to seven 43s. 
right? You guys see where I'm going with this because I've talked about this before. And then another six, eight weeks later, same 160 to 163 heart rate. You got to keep the heart rate consistent. The pace comes down even more. You know your fitness is working. You know it's coming together for you. You know at a set heart rate, your pace is getting faster. Therefore, the cost on your body is lower and you're getting fitter, right? Let's say if you kept the same pace, which is what we're talking with regards to cost on body, let's say you kept those eight minute miles, the heart rate would also be coming down over these follow-up tests. But as I was saying to an athlete today, we do not want to use heart rate as the uh, um, pace as the steady number and watch heart rate come down. It's a more um, variable data input. It's affected by too many things, dehydration, weather, temperature, and so forth. Um, so we want that to be consistent. That's one easier to triangulate and watch the pace come down. As I always say, we want to raise the ceiling. We don't want to pull up the floor. And so in order to raise the ceiling, we want to keep a heart rate steady and watch the pace come down versus trying to force ourselves to watch the heart rate come down at a certain pace. Let's say you want to run um, an eight-minute mile for a marathon, and currently you're actually only fit enough for a 940 or a 1010, right? Next thing you know, if you start running eights and seeing, well, I can hold it now for only three miles. And I, my goal is in a few months to hold it for 12 miles and then 16 miles. You will quickly think you're seeing benefits, but come race day and come fitness, it's a, it's a shadow truth. Below the surface, you are not actually gaining that fitness. You're just quickly having short adaptations to that number. It's not fitness. It's it's a different approach, and it won't last long enough. You can do anything at thresholds or at glycogen-burning um, energy levels um, that will mask fitness, and that's the big confusion for a lot of people. So instead, you don't want to start with eight-minute miles and watch the heart rate come down. You want to start with a low heart rate and watch the pace come down because then you're conditioning your heart properly for growth. You're not forcing your heart into a pace. So we want to avoid that. How you incorporate this into your overall base building period. So I use those zones for training, zone three, zone four, zone two, from that zone four number. Um, how do you test? I answer that. What do I look for? I look for how quickly the heart rate rises and how quickly it gets into that zone. And I also will look how far it goes up over the five times one mile repeats. And from there, based off of seeing hundreds and hundreds of these tests, I sort of gauge a number and it's pretty close. Like I can't give you a formula or a reasoning for it. It's just based off the data. Unfortunately, that's not something I can share or tell you because there's no... It's experience of just seeing it and knowing, you know, if let's say the first number of was 153, but the last number was 187. Now we have a 34 different uh, change in heart rate. Now that's too much, right? So if you're just going to take those two numbers and throw them out and take the average, well, you're going to get a number way across the board. So clearly that person who went from 153 to 187 didn't challenge themselves properly on the first one because you're not going to go threshold in a 30 heart rate range. And so that number is basically out the door. And if we see that range not tighten up by the last three, well, then we have to do the test again. 
But if we see it at, let's say, 167 on the first one, and by the last one, it's down to 158, well, maybe we overdid it on the first one. And then therefore, that data has to be adjusted, skewed for that, right? Um, if they're too tight, let's say they all stay at 175, well, then it's too measured and controlled. It's got to be a little bit messy and ugly when you do five times one mile repeat with one minute rest at 90 to 95% effort. That sucks. It's painful. So um, how I incorporate it, I told you with the follow-up test. And so um, <clears throat> I hope that helps. I think that that should answer it from that perspective. And then um, from the zones, let's say once I have zone four, then I pull zone three below it and zone two even more below it. That's pretty basic that I just use a 10 heart rate range depending on the athlete, maybe a smaller range. And I do put gaps in the ranges because that way the body clearly recognizes better zone four from zone three before zone two. A lot of athletes ask me about that. Why do you have gaps in it? I just want there to be a real clear distinction between zone two and zone three, that your body's like, okay, this is a lot faster. It's not, we're not in the gray zone in between. It's clearly a difference. Additionally, given it's around the holidays, do you have any specific charities we might be able to donate to or show our appreciation for the weekly word? Well, those of you that have been on the podcast for a while, as well as my newsletter, know that I'm putting together a fund for the firefighters wildland fires, and first responders of the fires um, of this past year, 2018 and 2017 in California. Those guys go up and beyond and are the ultimate endurance athletes. And I've talked about this. And I'm starting a website for those endurance heroes called enduranceheroes.org. And with that, in order to raise those funds, I am selling a cycling jersey. Yes, it is for the coast ride that just happened, but it's a pretty cool jersey. And the best way to support me with this endeavor is in order is you buying a jersey. Those jerseys are going to be cost me about $65 to $70 from Giordana. And I'm going to sell them at a current market price of what jerseys go for around $150 to $160. It's a high-end cycling jersey. Why am I charging that much? Because every single penny, that cost of 65 to the retail price of 150 to 160 is going towards this fund. What's the fund going to be used for? We are going to start a scholarship program for firefighters, wildland fires, first responders that are in harm's way with regards to fires and doing so much by going towards those fast-moving fires eight football fields, seven football fields a minute in order to help us, the population, us who are there to get out. And yes, that is their job. And a lot of people might talk about it in that way. And I, I don't hear many who talk about it like that. But I want to recognize them and then being ultimate endurance heroes in my opinion opinion heroes because of what they're doing going towards the fire but they're also endurance athletes fighting a fire for 8 9 10 11 hours a day with short shift rests of 20 to 40 minutes an hour here an hour there limited sleep heavy equipment a lot of clothes on sweating depleting yourself dehydration all day long high temperatures high cognitive alert life in danger 
fatigue day after day after day, defending an area that often isn't even their home or in their jurisdiction where they're firefighting, they've been flown in, bust in, whatever. They're heroes. And that sacrifice and that danger, what they're taking on and what they're doing and jumping out of planes and putting themselves in the middle of fire, directing traffic for some of those first responders and policemen and police women who direct traffic as the whole town of paradise was burning around them, helping others get out while flames are shooting up all around them. I mean, that is amazing. And if any of those are doing Ironman, 50k events or 50 mile events because many of them love the endurance community they love training like that i want to use our fund to pay their race entries it's a lot of money to pay for an ironman these days and if i can help them if we all can help them not i strike that not i if we can show our appreciation in a little way by you buying a jersey and that profit that $100, that $90 profit going towards the fund to pay their $850 race entry fee for an Ironman because a lot of first responders and firemen and wildland fires and smoke jumpers do this stuff, then you're welcome. Thank you for what you do. Thank you for doing your job, which is way beyond the job description that you started with when you became a wildland fire, when it was a firefighter when it, the fires weren't like this, as hot as this, as crazy as this, and a fire season that didn't last as long as this, from April to September in some places or later, that now your training, your time, your personal time, your family time is compromised. There's so much I can dive into here out of respect for them. If I can pay their $150, $250, $300, sorry, I said I again. If we can pay that, and as a small token of our appreciation for what they do, way beyond their job description, way beyond what they're probably, usually, often getting paid, well then, thank you. Thank you for being who you are. And that's the charity and that's the fund I'm doing. It's going to be enduranceheroes.org. The jersey I'm going to put up on the newsletter um, and for those of you who are interested in seeing what the jersey looks like already, I have a full mock-up ready, and Giordana is about to start printing them. My intention, there we go, intention, for 2019 is to sell about 150 jerseys. If we sell 150 jerseys, I envision 150 of about 100 bucks a pop, that's a fair amount of money to put 10 to 15 to 20 firefighters, wildland fighters, smoke jumpers, first responders into races, into events. That would be a successful effort intention for 2019 for us as a community to say thank you. And how will I go about selecting those people? Yes, I in that case. Well, um, I would love to get your feedback. I would love for you all of you to be involved and send me your thoughts and ideas, but it would be sort of more that, let's say a station um, 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 chief sends me uh, an application or somebody who they're nominating or somebody who's in the Paradise Fire or in Cal Fire or all those opportunities. There's plenty of them out there. 
There's plenty of them. And whoever sends me an email, and if I can disperse those funds effectively by the end of 2019 so that we're empty and we find something new to do in our appreciation at the end of 2019 going into 2020, awesome. That's us. That's us. And that's, that's what, if you wanted to show your appreciation for the weekly word, I do this for free. I do this because I love it. But if there's one thing I can get out of it, this would be amazing. So that answers your second question. Thank you for asking that. That, that, was, um, that was the platform and question I was looking to answer on today's podcast anyway. So send me an email, chris at aimcoaching.com. If you want to see what that jersey looks like, it's going to be up on my website, aimcoaching.com soon, within the next few days. I'm just writing a note to myself to do that so that you can see it and talk a little bit more about that. Um, and then, or it's definitely going to be in the next newsletter with some instructions there too. It was, I think, no, I don't think it was on the last, last newsletter. I don't remember. So thank you again for asking that question and caring. Okay. So I wanted to dive into training plans for all of you that we were going to, are going to work through this podcast season, this podcast year. And with that, I have in mind to keep it fairly simple, but successful. And what that means is if we do 80% of what I'm describing, it will get us quite close to what we're capable of doing. And in general, like I keep saying, and I've mentioned a lot on this podcast, is that this training aspect is not really anything that should be super secretive or super complicated. Um, if you can find the time for the training and you can stay injury free and can increase the consistency of your training and gradually the volume and get in some key concepts, well, then you will be on your way, well on your way to being successful in endurance and ultra endurance events. Because ultra endurance events come down to a simple concept. Consistency and volume over time create a great level of fitness. It's really that simple. Now, in order to be consistent, we need there's details to that. We need to be organized with our time. We need to have our priorities straight and know where to carve out our windows in our busy lives. Um, consistency also means staying injury-free and taking care of our body and getting the sleep and the recovery time and eating well. That all sets up consistency. Um, so there's a lot of sub factors that go into consistency and volume. Volume has another su a few sub factors as well. Volume over time or volume all at once. I'm not a big fan of doing, doing volume all at once, trying to crash course, crash uh, study, crash train for an event. Um, it's just not natural on the body. It is, uh, increases the likelihood of injury, which then messes with the consistency. And again, that's not how our body is prefers to adapt. Um, we like to be in steady state. We like to be in homeostasis. And any change will, will come with resistance from the body and the mind. 
And so subtle changes and gradual builds will allow the body to gradually understand and adapt and find new ways to become steady in that new volume, in that new training phase and so forth. And again, keeping us strong and injury free and cartilage and ligaments and support structure and bones and posture all remaining fundamentally sound in order to again handle volume. And so volume plus consistency. If we have the volume over many, many weeks and can gradually build up and then throw in some recovery, build up, throw in some recovery, those buildups should be coming, becoming bigger and bigger for the event that we're doing. Of course, if you're doing a five-hour event, that's different than a 10-hour event or a 16-hour event or a 24-plus-hour event. And there also becomes a threshold at which point we can actually train for the event or we're training the body in prep for an event that will take way longer and we can't really simulate it too much because it will take weeks to recover from. So there is that classic training um, threshold where there, via volume and consistency we can only go so far. And I've talked about this threshold before. By training, we mean a stress that results in physiological adaptations, right? And so, okay, sorry, I said that very fast. In training, by training our body, we mean stress on the body that results in physiological adaptations. Hence why I want us to be careful on ramping up the volume too quickly, because otherwise the stress is greater than the physiological adaptations. And so as we are also gradually building that volume and consistency, we're increasing blood plasma levels, we're increasing mitochondrial density in the muscles, improving the ability to use and replenish glycogen. All that can't be rushed. All that takes time, nothing um, over the top, nothing that takes too long, um, but allowing the body to continuously make these micro adaptations. The ability to burn fat as fuel, our heat tolerance, and our oxygen uptake. Those are all different things that we're looking for in physiological adaptations, and then they take time. Again, we need to push it a little bit to the edge or a little bit outside of the current comfort zone, have those adaptations and pull back and recover. That's how this stuff works. Whether you're a sprinter getting ready for the Olympics in the 100 meter, or you're um, an ultra runner getting ready for a 100 mile run, the concepts are basically the same. And again, so that's why I want to not debunk or demystify this, but I just want to share it here. Because again, coaching isn't about the training plan. Sure, the training plan has maybe some new ideas, things that you hadn't thought of, or you know, uh, uh, little details or drills and so on that might benefit you. But that's just via experience. Again, if you were to research it online, you would find that yourself. So again, coaching is not about the training plan. Coaching is about guiding you through the training plan. It's about being an advocate for you on how to work through the training plan. It's about helping you navigate your time and your priorities and, um, having an advocate with regards to how you're recovering and what you're observing and how your body's working, that's coaching. 
And I have different concepts with regards to the definition of coaching, but basic coaching is a type of teaching and teaching you how to learn to listen to your body so that you have a, are better tuned with it and therefore can make those physiological adaptations better. And that's why I want to share these training plans from a 50K to a marathon to a 70.3 to an Ironman. Again, people might say, and people have already asked me, like, aren't you worried that's going to affect your business? No, it's not going to affect my business. It shouldn't affect any coaching's, coach's business because a training plan is only as good as you, the athlete, using it and the coach helping you navigate it. Because I can give you right now 20 templates on training plans, but again, it's got to be adapted and adjusted and modified for you the athlete, what you missed, what you can't do this week. How are we taking the usual concepts of a training plan, volume and consistency again, and because you can't get it all in, you have a busy life, how do we spread out one week of the training plan? Let's say there's six workouts in that week and you just don't have time for six workouts in that week. How do we adapt that to two weeks of training of that one week that's on the plan? but then still having the benefits of it. How do we carve that? How do we make it for you? And that's again, coaching, coaching, coaching. It's so important to understand that. It's what I talked about on Rich's podcast. That's what I talk about on this, this podcast a lot. Anybody can do the training, but how it works for you and how we coach you to navigate your life, your family, your career, your career with regards to what you're still on learn and grow at your work, your community life, your little league coaching, your church. You know, I have clients who have two, three, four dogs. Well, so do I. I have three dogs. Um, but, you know, they love their dogs. And so they're busy on walks with them or going to shows with them or training them. So that's a priority in their life. So it's not like we're just going to say no forget your dogs the next nine months as you're getting ready for a hundred miler. No, let's figure out ways to manage through it. There is a path. Now, a big caveat that I want to put out there that I should have put out there in this entire podcast is, and even in Rich's podcast and in my whole message, this doesn't just mean we're taking endurance athletics and adding it on top of what you're already doing in your life. Our lives are all way too busy to just add another thing, let alone for 10, 12, 16 hours a week, eight hours a week, whatever it is. That's not how this works because then your quality of life, your quality of results at work, quality of life with family, quality of everything around you will diminish and you won't feel as good about doing the ultra endurance event that you signed up for, that you had a passion for with regards to health and lifestyle and fitness. No. So a lot of that ties into with regards to coaching again. All right, let's discuss this. That's why some of my best athletes are the ones that are willing to open up and talk about this aspect of saying, you know what, Chris, how do I fit this in? And then we work through it, right? Well, what are you doing in your day? How are your buckets of priorities lined up? What's essential in your day? How are you giving the highest contribution of yourself to your priorities every day? Highest contribution towards your family, being present, being in it when you're with them in family time. Highest contribution at your work and your projects and your career and in it when you're doing that. 
highest contribution to your health and your fitness and your personal goals and outcomes and self-care when you're in it and doing it. And then we start working around the non-essential stuff. Like there is so much time in the day that a lot of people, and I don't like to generalize, but we all know, we all know that there's things every day we spend on that's just junk, junk time. And a lot of my clients, that's what we work through, you know? Um, and it doesn't necessarily mean it's always successful, but at least they're aware of it and seeing, well, if I wanted to cut out more time, volume, um, and if I wanted to be more consistent, I could. So it's back on me, the athlete. And so that's part of why I want to demystify any type of training aspect here. The other thing that I do, of course, have to say, everything that I'm suggesting here, you know, I'm not telling you to do, um, you know, I obviously have to put a little bit of a disclaimer on here just because I say long run and speed work and this, you know, if you're not healthy enough or strong enough or able to do that, um, you know, I'm talking high level stuff with regards to not knowing you, the athlete. And so from a medical health liability aspect, I just play a coach on the internet. I'm not a real one. I'm joking. Just joking. Um, but you all know what I mean. Don't do this if you haven't, if you don't have the health or the medical um, health in order to do what we're talking about with regards to a 50K or 70.3 or a marathon. All that always needs to run through the proper checkup first. So, but that being said, so let's go backwards, right? With what I was saying before, um, there's a concept in training known of as the principle of specificity that says that principle says that if you want to excel at riding 200 meter sprints ride lots of 200 meter sprints if you want to do well at 40k time trials ride a lot of those the point i'm making is that physically that principle falls apart at around six hours worth of work that's what i was saying earlier there's a point at which you can train five to six-ish, seven-ish hours, and then after that, the adaptations start to diminish greatly because you can't recover in time so that the next session is effectively adapted, physiological adaptations. That means if you want to be a fast 24-hour runner, you know, 100-mile runner, you shouldn't do a 24-hour run or a 100-mile run each week or even once per month. The recovery time of those events necessitate um, that we get more recovery than we're actually able to do them frequently. So that's why some of these thresholds, once you reach a training distance threshold, volume and consistency is going to have to be applied a little bit different for that. Another thing to keep in mind, if you're doing something that will require you to sacrifice sleep or subject your body to a lot of thermal variation, running outside in the heat and dehydration, or in addition to that, um, maybe caloric deficit, right? If you're doing a 40-mile run for training for a 100-mile run, well, the next day, there's no way you can catch up from that eight hours of running um, in calories in order to be, and then follow it up with another long run and another long run. Four or five days in, you're going to be at such a caloric deficit that the adaptations, again, 
are not going to be working. They're not going to be increasing your all the physical adaptations that we're looking for, like blood plasma and mitochondrial density and replenish your ability to replenish glycogen, all that stuff that I was talking about earlier. So um, what we're saying, caloric deficit as well. Um, no matter how well you fuel, when the toll on your body is so high as not to be worth what you might gain from it. Beyond the toll on your body, there's a bigger issue. After such a training event, you might not even want to look at a training plan for some time. And so that's not good from a motivational confidence, um, consistency again, ability, right? If you're unmotivated and you're just so beat up from the training, that will affect consistency and volume. The longer and less well-supportive any event is, the greater the risk of more recovery time and post-event mental breakdown. So those two are very important. Keep that in mind too. Long trail races, because they're not, not that they're not well-supported where they are supported, but you just can't get to a lot of places in order to have a frequent enough. So you're sort of at a, at a compromise there, right? You need more recovery time because of the bigger gaps and the toll it took on your body, as well as what you had to overcome in training, a 40-mile run, a 30-mile run, in order to be properly motivated and cognitively fresh to properly have the right training adaptations. Keep that all in mind as we break into this ultra-endurance training and these training plans that I'm giving you and that I'm going to walk through in a moment. Okay, so let's think of it in a 50K thought process, right? And how I usually go about a 50K is I usually look at about 16 to 20 weeks, right? And there's so many different caveats that fall into this category now of ultra running. So while a 50K is only five miles longer than a marathon, and there's a lot of marathon training templates and information out there, because it's usually on terrain, so the dirt and the footing on terrain isn't as effective with regards to cadence, turnover, push-off, and bounding ability, and our leg turnover, and just in general speed and landing and efficiency and motion and so forth. So it takes longer. The terrain with elevation change and hills and climbs and downhills and river crossings and hiking and aid stations stopping and so forth also changes that. So overall, a 31-mile race is usually where I start talking to athletes. We're preparing for a five to six-hour day. Now, many of you might go, what? Five to six hours? I run a marathon in 3.30. Why would it take me an hour and a half longer to run the five miles? Because of the factors I just talked about. But also, here's my thinking when I look at a 50K training plan for an athlete. If they're faster than that, let's say they can run a 50K in 3.45 to 4.30, which is pretty fast. Nothing world-class, but it's fast, right? It's fast in the age group. It's fast in a general approach. Well, if our fitness has us at five to six hours, here's the beauty you can dial up that effort, speed, intensity, focus, drive, risk for three and a half to four hours and 15 minutes, for 345 to 430, 
As many of my athletes know, I like to sort of cut short the time. So if you want to do a four-hour race, I get you ready for 3.45, 3.30. That last 15, 30 minutes, that's guts and glory and drive and wanting it. So if you're ready and fit for five to six hours, how good will three and a half feel? Sure, higher effort, higher intensity, higher burn rate, higher suffering, but again, mentally fun. Let's say if you're beyond that category, that you're a bit slower than five to six hours. Well, again, you'll be prepared for five to six hours and rested and hyped for the, your event, your first 50K or whatever it is. So that if it takes seven hours, you're still plenty prepared because, again, you've done 80% of the training, maybe even 90% of the training. And that last hour, 90 minutes is, again, on guts, glory, drive, um, you know, how badly I want it. So it's a safe space. I do the same for 50 milers. That's around 11 hours, 10 to 11 hours. Um, although it's not twice the distance, you know, things quickly go downhill <laughs> as the longer that we go on trails. And especially with trail races, there seems to be a lot more elevation impact, change in footing and, and rolling hills impact the longer we go, as we know right? 50 miles and 100 miles, totally different ballgame. 70.3, very similar. I train athletes for around six hours. Then if they're faster, stronger, more talented in the respect with regards to having numbers in their mind of wanting to break five hours, wanting to go around 515, then they're prepared physically to go for six, but they can dial up the intensity. You see the point I'm trying to make? That's why I'm building or talking about a training plan for the 50K now that's going to wrap around five to six hours. So in those 16 to 20 weeks, we build it very simply from scratch. What I will do and what I will recommend is that we put in four workouts for the week. Four. So if you pull out a piece of paper and put in four boxes or four bullet points or four numbers, and we say, okay, one's a long run. There's one out of the way. Now, what defines a long run? We'll see as we start building the volume and, you know, goes as we progress into the 16 weeks. But I'm going to start talking about the first four weeks here. So we want one long run. We want one shorter run, right? And for now, the shorter run is just to get the week started. So I usually will put the shorter run 45 minutes to 60 minutes on the front end of the week. Because often I take have my athletes take Mondays off. It's a good way to start the week, come out of the weekend, which is usually the bulk of the training volume during the week is the consistency. Um, that we say, okay, that one is just to reconnect with our running form and to start the week off with a positive, with no, with not a lot of prescription, not a lot of intensity, not a lot of pass-fail, like feeling if you already don't hit intervals on a Tuesday for the week, and I don't want any type of negative energy where it's like, wow, I'm really tired still, and I couldn't even hit that heart rate zone. No, it's usually just an easy 45 to 60-minute run. So we have two workouts right now, the long run and the welcome to the week <laughs> introduction run. One run in there usually between the long run and that introduction run to the week is a speed run. 
And then what I define by speed is first off leg turnover. It's very important to get our leg turnover up. It seems to me that over the years, whether it's the world-class two-hour um, marathon guys who are trying to break two hours, as well as um, some of the top runners in the Grand Slam of marathons, their leg speed and leg turnover is all between 88 and 92. Some might jump to 93, 94, but nobody is really below 88. Take a look for yourself. Not really complicated. So when I see a lot of us plodding along at 84, 86, I look to get us and some even 82. That strikes per minute total both uh, per leg um, that I, uh, I want to get their leg speed up. Leg speed up increases heart rate, so it has a physiological stress on the heart. It gets us technically and fundamentally more sound, um, makes us more efficient in our movement, higher leg speed, right? Same as cycling. I like a higher cadence because we can always slow down and push a bigger gear. In running, we don't want to slow down too much because that is time of the foot on the ground and that's resistance and that's slower than our foot in the air. So we want time in the air, which will come with bounding exercises and the proper push-off down the road. But for now, one-speed leg turnover. And that can start with six times one minute in a 45-minute in a or an hour run. That can build all the way up to two, three minutes with 60 to 90 to even two minutes rest. So at first, it's only on feel. At first, we only want it pump that leg turnover up, that will kick the heart rate up, that will send the body a signal that there's a higher physiological stress as if it were intensity, and we want to recover from that. So six to eight times something in there. I would start with a minute. I wouldn't overdo it, and instead, over the next four weeks, we will build that from one minute to 90 seconds to two minutes to maybe three minutes. So there's your third workout of the week, speed, leg turnover. Not necessarily speed with paces or heart rates yet, just, again, starting simple and adaptations. And then finally, the fourth workout of the week usually is something where we're working on some sort of, um, not uh, uh, endurance, because the long run at the low heart rate is for that, but we're working on changing speeds ever so gently. And so that's not speed and specific work, but that's more endurance and strength and technique. So we want to combine in that, let's say, um, ramping up the speed and pulling back again. Ramping up the speed, pulling back again. How does that look? That could be including three times 10 minutes with five-minute recovery, easy jogs, good form, technically sound. Um, so that's 45 minutes of work right now or of prescription, maybe a few minutes warm up and warm down. Now you just got an hour. This is your fourth workout of the week. And in that, those 10 minute builds, we start real easy because we're coming from the recovery of the previous interval. And we take every three minutes, we increase the speed by 30 seconds per mile, wherever you are, whether that's a 12 minute mile, 10 minute mile, eight minute mile but that we have a significant shift in our physiology that we're applying. We're going from easy to, let's say, steady state tempo, and then another 30 seconds per mile, the last three minutes, and we hold it um, for three minutes, and now we're at closer to threshold. So again, we're tapping the body into 
the each one of our zones in each one of our adaptation zones easy medium tempo steady state and fast threshold not quite vo2 type of work but uncomfortable that you don't want to stay there for three minutes you continuing to want to slow down that's the right sensation so we have those four workouts now the one that i left out is the long run I would say for a 50K, we start with about an hour and 15, an hour and 20 minutes. 75 to 80 minutes is a good place to start a longer run. It will quickly progress, but let's say the first week we do the 115 to 120. The second week we do about an hour and a half to 140. The third week, we're closer to just under two hours. And that gives us four workouts per week. We have three other days a week. Now, we want to put some recovery in there. If you're early on starting with a workout plan here, the key will be two recovery days. You don't want to run more than two days back to back. You're going to be pretty achy and pretty sore from doing this volume for the first time. The third day, I like to throw in some core and some stability and some chassis integrity work. And around that is a fair amount of specific core strength and endurance work that um, experienced runners and even beginner runners um, will have um, applied to their body due to the running. So to put that differently, um, those are the demands experienced by you, the ultra runner. And so it's specific to core strength and it's specific to running. And so what are some of these exercises? A lot of it is defined outside of the zone of what typical core work is. It's not just regular crunches, it's bicycle crunches. It's not just leg lifts, it's windshield wipers. It's um, back extensions, it's Russian twists, it's standing founders, it's plank walk-ups. And of course, what my athletes definitely know is a lot of three limb front bridges where you have um, one limb off the ground at all times. So for example, you're on your elbows and your toes in a bridge, and now you lift your arm for 15 seconds, and then you put that down and put lift your other arm for 15 seconds, all while maintaining bridge, a nice clean, flat spine, great structural integrity from the neck all the way to your toes and then you lift your one leg for 15 seconds and then your other leg for 15 seconds Um, three limb front bridge is a great way to continue to again chassis integrity continuing to keep the full muscle groups intact and activated while you put a stress on a certain area um Windshield wipers, again, side-to-side motions. Russian twists, side-to-side motions. Because all you're doing when you're running is your hips are turning your chassis, your torso, side-to-side. And when you're running um, consistently over time, even if it's not with a lot of extraneous motion, your one shoulder is forward and your one hip is back. So you're doing torso twists hundreds and hundreds of times while you're running. And if those get fatigued, if your hip flexors get start getting fatigued, if in general your entire midsection gets too tired and is not as part of the integrity of your running form, you will slow down dramatically. 
you will have a harder time lifting your legs. You're going to use bigger muscles to compensate for that, and you're going to fatigue. So core strength, specific for running, is something um, that is very important. So that's also another workout for the week. Many of my athletes know that I like to follow up a good core strength program, which I will actually gladly share online. Um, Or let's do this. I will put it in my next newsletter. Uh, I'm going to write that down right now. I'll put um, a general core strength for running plan. Um, Core strength runners into the next newsletter. And that way... I'll need you to sign up for the newsletter. Um, Good strategy, right? So I'll put that in there for free, uh, obviously for free. The newsletter's for free. But that you all have at least a platform. Maybe not all the things I do, but something that touches on most of it. Again, 80-20 here. If you're doing 80% of this, you're in a great spot. So we have our four workouts a week. We know how we're going to build the speed over the next four weeks. We know how we're going to build the long run over the next four weeks. We're going to know how we're going to build our speed changes and build in speeds over the next few weeks. And we also have our easy run to start the week. That's four runs per week. That volume alone starts us off at about five hours, four and a half hours of running in the first week. And we'll probably grow over four weeks to about six hours of running a week. Now, throw in some core, ideally twice a week, but at least once a week. So that's another hour-ish, 30 minutes per in order to get through all the exercises. And now here's the follow-up. Beyond the core strength, I'd really like you to head out and run for 20 minutes, 15 minutes minimum post-core in order to activate and recruit all the muscle groups that you just used and fatigued and hopefully activated and applied and um, fired during your core routine while running. And so you can see how it all ties together. You can focus on that 15 to 30 minutes on very easy running with good form, good turnover, light on the feet, but again, technically sound to really feel the core helping you run and feeling why you're doing the core. So that should be four weeks. You have your long run. You've built up probably in those four weeks no more than two hours and two and a half hours, 240. Because um, if you're doing two and a half to 240 after four weeks and you're doing all this other stuff, you're pretty close to being ready to jump to the next level, which I'll get to next week with, um, yeah, in the next podcast, um, with regards to building weeks five through eight, which become a little bit more challenging because we start adding the concept of post-long run the next day, how we clean that up. But I'll get to that next time. So I hope that helps. Um, Another way to look at your training is to think of it this way. Am I applying physiological stress this week? And stress in physiological circles amongst exercise physiologists as well as coaches can be shortened into this acronym. Stress is strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed, and specific. Now, those aren't all separate words, uh, workouts, strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed, and specific. But in your physiological adaptations, whether it's for running, cycling, triathlon, rowing, jumping, um, um, gymnastics, uh, whatever, horse racing, 
strength, technique, recovery, endurance, speed specific. Are you touching on all those every week? We're touching on speed, uh, strength um, because of our durability and our um, repetitive application of our runs, as well as some in the core stuff, as well as some in because of the duration of our long run. Technique, we've talked about that post-core. We've talked about that in leg turnover. We've talked about that in good form and staying technically sound. Recovery, that's our off day. That's our re-engagement workout, keeping it easy, not asking for a lot of stress, as well as good sleep, as well as gapping the workouts properly. You don't want to go from speed into the long run yet. Down the road, once your body has built up the durability and the impact and the load, and it can handle it from a skeletal and structural chassis integrity standpoint, yes, then we can put things together here and there. But again, two off days a week allows for that recovery. Endurance, we're talking our longer run, as well as the back-to-back days, the fact that you're doing speed and then a core plus a short run day that creates endurance because in a matter of 24 hours, in a matter of 30 hours, you're doing two hours of running and 30 minutes of core, stuff like that. We're building up the endurance. And overall, in the full week, it creates endurance because, again, multiple days on, recovery. And we're going to increase the multiple days on, decrease the recovery, and so forth, again, to build endurance. And speed in specific, we talked about leg turnover and based on the feel, based off the three zones currently with regards to easy, tempo, steady state, and uncomfortably fast threshold. So, and specific is towards our event. So specific is one, long run, two, getting ready in the future after we do the leg turnover and some durability stuff for hills and for dirt and running on trail, which should be the long run anyway. So now we're getting up to two hours and um, I'm going to start winding this episode down. So let me know what you think, please, with regards to this training plan stuff. If you don't like it or if you, actually, if you don't like it, (laughs) you'll let me know. But if you do like it, please um, also let me know. Please uh, let me know if it's something that is helpful and that you all enjoy. I know you might think a lot of people reach out and say, oh, I don't need to reach out, therefore. But even just a short note, love the new training plan segment. Keep it up. Takes you 10 seconds, and it's really helpful for me to know as I plan the next four weeks training schedule and the 70.3 training schedule. It won't be as long as this one, right? Because this first one, I'm sort of explaining more the concepts. Next week, we'll jump right into um, training plan weeks five through eight. We don't have to go through the whole physiological stress adaptation background. I might run through it from a quick Recap standpoint, because it's good for us to have that hammered into our brain with regards to what we're doing this training really for. But um, yeah. So, all right. So that will be part one of episode 96. It's almost two hours long. A couple other things I need to touch on, um, sort of the housekeeping aspect. A lot of people have asked me about my training camp, especially those of you that are newer. We'll be doing a lot of swim work at the training camp, um, swim opportunities. 
I might have athletes go off and ride and run on their own while I'm working more on swimming. I'm also working with the Swim Smooth guys so that maybe they can join us for a day or two of swimming so that I can, we can take advantage of their swim tips. And by swim heavy, I mean training camp starts April 3rd. I think that's a Wednesday and goes to, um, to half day on April 7th. So in the afternoon of April 3rd, we'll right away jump into swimming that afternoon. We can do a trail run or something like that too for those who arrive early and want more work. Um, and then Sunday morning on the 7th, we'll finish with uh, swimming and trail running or running um, so that you can pack up your bike and you don't have to deal with it on the last day. Um, but yeah, so the April training camp goes from April 3rd to April 7th. It's a more of a full-on training camp, all-inclusive type of thing. I probably won't do the meals because there's a lot of individuality there, but I'll set up the hotel package. I will set up all the training, the transportation with regards to getting to and from sites. I have a mechanic. I have massage therapy. I have all the aspects that we need. We're going to have talks on nutrition talks on dry land training, strength and core, cycling, running, trail running, open water swimming, pool swimming, some videotaping, some video analysis. It's not that formal, but I like to take video, iPhone video, and then go through it with the athletes as we're um, over those five days. So it's a lot of one-on-one time and it's uh, very specific. It's a training camp. So there's a variety of training, but there's a lot of input that day, full access that we go through a lot of things. And so therefore, it's not going to be a lot of athletes. Um, My coast ride was 25. That was perfect for the coast ride, but my training camp is not going to be 25. Um, Most likely, I'll cap it around 15 to 16 athletes. So please send me an email now if you're interested in doing it. I already have six or seven athletes that are newer to me, that are definitely gonna come because they want that time and that analysis and that swim work and that one-on-one time and then just a small group atmosphere. And they're getting ready for Ironman Santa Rosa, which we will be training on that course. We'll be swimming in Lake Sonoma. We'll be running on that course. And so riding that course. But those of you that are not doing Ironman Santa Rosa, it's still hugely helpful, one, to be training on an Ironman course and in a similar environment. But B, it's, it's beautiful riding in Sonoma County um, and that area. It's spring. It's gorgeous there. We have three pools lined up. Um, we have an open water swim in Lake Sonoma. We have some beautiful rides in Sonoma County, western Sonoma County, upper Marin, western Marin, empty roads. We'll have SAG support again. Um, and then we'll be running trails and pavement and less pavement. I'm not a big fan of pavement, but flat trails so that we can do speed work on it and steady state running work on it. Um, those of you that were there last year, remember, um, it, there's some incredible flat, steady trails that you can run up to two hours, super steady on with not a foot of elevation gain. Um, that's what we're lucky with all our levees out here in Marin County. And yeah, then evening dinners at hotels and different local restaurants. And so, yeah, it should be a lot of fun, but it's not, um, it's an experience and it's good memories, but it's also focused individual training, right? Um, So we want to keep that in mind. But yeah, that's the 
Housekeeping on that, April 3rd through 7th, I will send out the pricing and um, more details on that um, once I'm a little bit more organized here later this week of the first week of Feb uh, first week of February, it will be up. And then uh, we talked about the uh, the cycling jerseys. So um, I will be putting those into the next newsletter and on the website soon. And that's about it for now. Um, so, oh, and finally, this podcast is on Stitcher, which I didn't even know how it works. But luckily, one of you said, hey, I would love to have your podcast on a different platform than iTunes. Can't always access it the same way, blah, blah, blah. Next thing you know, my guy put it on Stitcher and applied and got it all done. So if you're a Stitcher person, it is now on Stitcher. So, all right. That's it for this week on the Weekly Road Podcast. Two hours of me. Um, I hope you broke this up. <laughs> but um, I appreciate you all for listening and being part of this community and for doing this. And yeah, remember, being an athlete is a mindset. It's a mindset that you choose to apply every day. You can choose to be a lot of hats and do a lot of things. But being an athlete is a mindset that you choose. And as we dive into this ultra endurance lifestyle, keep that in mind. I choose to be an athlete today. I'm excited to be an athlete and have the mindset of an athlete because I chose to. By my own free will, I want to be an athlete. Because like I said, we're all athletes, but it's the mindset and how we apply that choice and how we deal with our circumstances that, that makes us that athlete that gives us the athlete mindset that gives us the athlete privileges it's how we deal with our daily life as an athlete so i will talk to you in about 48 hours when i finish up the next podcast with um, a lot of the questions and emails that i still have open have a great few days bye <laughs>